Welcome to the Pulp Nostalgia Audiocast. In this episode, we have part three of Murder's Mandate by W.T. Ballard, which originally appeared in the September 1945 issue of Thrilling Detective. This story is also included in the Brick Pickle Media book, Thrilling Detective Pulp Tales, Volume 1. This book, along with Volumes 2 and 3, is now available in print and ebook formats. It features some of the best pulp stories from the pages of Thrilling Detective. It can be ordered from Amazon or any other bookstore. You can get a discounted price bartering direct from our website. And that link is in the show notes. This podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production, copyright 2020. For more from Brick Pickle Media, visit www.pulpaudiocast.com. If you'd like to support our efforts, you can find a link to all of our books in our entire online store on the website. And with that, on with the show. Murder's Mandate by W.T. Ballard Chapter 5 The Final Chapter Finger of Suspicion A lot of lights were on in the rambling ranch house when Sam Boyd and his companions turned into the grounds and a coupe was parked in the drive. As they pulled up behind it, Ann Norcross gave a little cry. Why, that's my car. I loaned it to Mr. Foster. Boyd didn't answer. He was too busy herding his charges onto the wide porch and across to the front door. The door was not locked, and at Boyd's orders, Jack Dillon pushed it open. Call Laura, Boyd directed, moving his gun for emphasis. The little man raised his squeaky voice that echoed back to them through the house, the only answer. Boyd swore softly under his breath. He started to tell the little man to call again, but there was no need, for the squeaky voice once more filled the house, and now there was a note of urgent nervousness in it. Still, there was no answer. And Norcross pushed closer to Boyd as if she found comfort in his nearness. What's it mean? she asked. Again, he didn't answer because he was not sure. Instead, he told Dylan, Go ahead, let's have a look at the joint. They had a look, and they found Laura in the same room that Roger Bowman's body had occupied earlier that afternoon. She was dead. Boyd judged she had been dead, hadn't been dead long, and she had died in the same manner that death had reached Bowman. Someone had hit her on the top of the head. Hit her hard. And Norcross showed emotion that she had not shown that afternoon. I didn't know her, but she was beautiful. It was a shame for her to die. Sam Boyd had his own ideas about that. Lord and beautiful, yes, but the old saying was running through his head. Beauty is as beauty does, and Laura had used her beauty not wisely, but too well. Dylan hadn't spoken since they had found the girl's body. He stood looking down at her, his small face chalk white, his fist clenched. If I ever found out who did this, he let the words choke off as if they caught in his throat. Come on, let's look around the house. Boyd offered no objections. All he did was manage to keep Dylan and the man in the dinner coat in front of him. They searched the place, but it was not until they opened the door off the kitchen behind them, which Ann Norcross had been hidden, that they found Foster. There was tape over the attorney's lips, tape around his ankles and wrists, and a swelling blue bump on his forehead. He groaned weakly as they dragged him out into the light, and Dylan's man in the dinner jacket unfastened him and freed his mouth. Dylan pounced on Foster like a striking snake. Who did it? he demanded. Who killed her and tied you up? Foster shook his head as to clear it. Is she dead? The, the, the blonde, I mean? He struggled to his feet, stood swaying for a moment, his eyes settling on Dylan. You ought to know, he said to the little man. You hit me on the head. You probably killed her after you tied me up and stuck me in the same cupboard you put Aunt Norcross in this afternoon. I? Dylan stared at him. You came in while we were arguing. I told you to keep on and you hit me on the head. 
He's crazy. Dylan appealed to Sam Boyd. I haven't been out here all evening. I've got witnesses to prove I didn't leave the place. Then you've got a double. The lawyer felt his head tenderly. A striking double. We'll let the police decide. Wait. Said Sam Boyd. Wait a minute. Did you tell Foster about your being tied up in that cupboard, Anne? Why, no, I... Then how'd you know, Foster? Demanded Boyd. How'd you know she was tied up in that cupboard unless you put her there yourself? How'd you know anything about it? Foster laughed. A twisted, nasty sound. Just who are you working for anyhow? I thought I was working for you, Boyd said slowly. But he didn't count on murder. Murder is something that has to be straightened out. Are you trying to say they murdered that blonde? That's ridiculous. And naturally, you have no proof. As for Bowman, I wasn't even here when he was killed. I didn't fly up from Los Angeles until evening. Yes, you did, said Boyd. He felt weary, depressed. He'd worked for this man for three years. He supposed he should feel some loyalty, some regret, but he didn't. He didn't seem to feel anything at all where Foster was concerned. You flew up early this morning, just after I left L.A., he accused. You arranged for someone else to fly up this afternoon in your name, just in case of a slip. I talked to the man who was supposed to have flown you this afternoon. He described his passenger. It wasn't you, nor anybody like you. And that business of knowing where Miss Norcross was tied up. You couldn't have known that unless you had been here. I think you planned to kill Bowman. As for the blonde, she cut herself in. You had to get rid of her. But I was tied up. Hit on the head, protested Foster. That's an old stunt. You were trapped here. You had Miss Norcross's car parked in the drive. You heard us coming. You couldn't get out. It was easy enough to stick the tape on your mouth and ankles. The way it was wrapped on your wrist wasn't so hot. You could have worked loose if you tried. He was watching the lawyer as he spoke, but he didn't see the gun until it showed in Foster's hand. It was a little gun with two barrels, a museum piece called a sleeve gun. All right, you asked for it. You had to be too smart to make this our business. Local cops would never have figured it out. You can't kill us all with that pop gun, Boyd told him. I can kill the first one who moves, said Foster. I hope it's you. It wasn't. It was Jack Dillon. He'd been standing off a little to the right, took a step forward. You killed Laura, he said in his squeaky voice. Stand still, you fool. There was panic in Foster's voice. No, said Dillon and took another step. Little gun spat. It was hardly an explosion. Even as it sounded, Sam Boyd was in motion. One hand pushed Ann Norcross out of the way. The other made a sweeping arc, driving for Foster's chin. His knuckles hit. The force of the blow drove Foster's head backwards so hard that his neck almost snapped. He went over as Sam Boyd had used an axe. Dillon was sitting on the floor, his small arms clasped around his stomach. Hurt? Boyd asked. He was being to like this little tough. He killed Laura, said Dillon. He pulled a little double-barrel gun toward him with his foot and picked it up, staring at the curious mechanism. To get shot with this, he sounded disgusted. Let's see if it works. Before Boyd could stop him, he reversed the gun and put a bullet into Foster's stomach. Hope that hurts, he muttered, dropping the empty gun. Hurts like the devil. He bent forward and kept bending till he was almost double. Boyd jumped toward him, grabbing his small shoulder, straightened the little man. He was dead. Foster moaned and tried to move. He couldn't, and his eyes got scared. A doctor, he mumbled. A doctor isn't going to do you any good, Boyd told him. Although there will be one on the way with the cops in a minute. Anne is calling them. Shot you in the middle, pal. Know what that means? Foster knew. It showed in his eyes. Might as well talk, said Boyd. You won't feel like talking before long. Nothing to talk about. Foster was gasping a little. 
you haven't got a thing on a thing on me. Boyd shrugged. You killed Dylan. We can all swear to that. And the little fella didn't even have a gun. They'll execute you for that, pal. If by some miracle you should recover from that stomach ache. So why not be right for once in your worthless life and admit that you were in with Bowman in an effort to rob Anne's father of his share of the company? But that doesn't make sense, the girl protested. Sure it does, said Boyd. He's a smart lawyer. Too smart to let a deal like that pass unless he was in on it. Anyhow, I'm guessing that after the steal, Bowman didn't come through with a fair share, right, Foster? The man's eyes were beginning to glaze with pain. He nodded weakly. Threat! So, said Boyd, Foster gets the idea of putting the pressure on Bowman by getting you to sue to recover the company. He did talk me into it, and said I'd never have thought of it myself. Sure, the suit was a good idea, but one thing Foster didn't know was that Bowman had played a cute trick. Taking advantage of your father's blindness, Bowman got him to sign that letter. I was in the office when Bowman brought it in, and I'll vouch for Foster's surprise. Doctor, the lawyer moaned. Look, said Boyd, there's a doctor coming, but when the cops get here, they'll waste time questioning you. Tell us now, and the sawbones can go right to work on you. There was a little foam on Foster's lips. Boyd wiped it away. Am I right? The wounded man nodded. Right, he whispered. Norcross was a sick man. We told him the expansion of the company was hindered by his condition. He was a trusting old soul. He took my word. I used to get half of his share in the company, but Bowman never paid off. So? So I started the suit. Then Bowman produced the letter and we had it photostatted. Last night we got together and made a deal. He'd settle with me and I'd advise Anne to take a small sum. Only we didn't want the photostat floating around. If the FBI ever heard of it, there would be an investigation. The whole business might come out. Well? Bowman got his girl to pose as Anne Narcross and steal the photostat. Came back to the house here, but he didn't bring it with him. He let her keep it. That made me sore. He acted as if he didn't trust me. Tell it straight, said Boyd. You mean that when Bowman came back, you thought he had the photostat and killed him? You meant to go ahead at the suit all the time. You didn't know until after you killed him, the photostat wasn't there. When you found it missing, you didn't know what to do, so you laid low until time to meet me. And then, when the blonde struck her little oar in the water, you followed her out here and killed her. With her and Bowman dead, you had a fair chance to win the suit and you'd get half. You suspected him from the first? Anne asked soberly. Boyd shrugged. No one but Foster and Bowman knew I was bringing the photostat down here. And Bowman didn't know what time I'd arrive. Yet he and his blonde were at your ranch, waiting, while you were tied up at Bowman's. It was all too pat unless Foster was in on the deal. Then Foster, being a smart lawyer, should have blocked the original sale. I can't say that I suspected him, but I was suspicious. That's why I went off the airport to check up with the pilot. You're smart, she said. I want you to handle the suit for me. You need a lawyer, not a roughneck. We'll get a lawyer, but I need someone to tell me what to do. I'd go to the FBI, he said. I'd tell him about the letter, about your father's blindness. They'll investigate, don't worry. If they find out your dad was not trading with the enemy, you're a cinch to win your suit. I said you were smart. Sam Boyd grinned. He knew that he wasn't so smart, but it was nice that Ann thought so. Here come the cops, he told her, as cars made noise in the driveway. At least, chick, I'm smart enough to know that. And that's the end of Murder's Mandate by W.T. Ballard. Thanks for listening today. Just a reminder, if you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This has been a Brick Pickle Media production. We'll be back with a new episode next week.